It's going to be so good. It's amazing to be with you. Thank you for being here. In your bulletin that you got on the way in, I want to just draw your attention to two things. One, um, like I talked about last week, we have a 6 p.m. service. It's the exact same as this service every Sunday night, and it's amazing. It's growing. People come to it because they have to work in the morning sometimes. And what I'm looking for right now is for people who would commit to go to that service for the next six months rather than come in the morning. Because what's going to happen here in the next few months is these morning services are going to swell, and we're going to put out more chairs and stuff, but eventually it's going to get to where it's difficult for guests to kind of get, get in here. So when you come at night, you're freeing up a seat. You're making it easier for someone who maybe doesn't know the Lord yet to find a place to park and to sit. And then when you come at night as a Christian, you can help serve others and, and help create the same loving atmosphere that we have here in the morning. So if you feel led by God to do that, maybe some of you have the flexibility to do that, um, you can do that. And it's really about um, serving others is what is the main motivation for that. But we do have free cookies and coffee at night. So you can have that too. And you can hang out with all the pastors and it's totally amazing. But if you feel led to do that, just fill out that commitment card in your bulletin and turn it in. Also, we have an amazing opportunity for generosity this Christmas season. There is another insert in your bulletin about kingdom builders. Kingdom builders is how we reach the world and build the kingdom of God. I know it's very self-explanatory. I love self-explanatory things. What's kingdom builders? It builds the kingdom of God. And you'll see that what we do is we give above and beyond our regular giving, and it goes to people who do not know Jesus yet, to reaching them with the gospel, okay? So this is how we support missionaries around the world, church planners in the States. Um, you see different things on that list. We're supporting a foster care ministry in Arizona that takes care of, of foster kids. We're uh, supporting a, a project rescue that you know, helps get girls and children out of sex trafficking. The Fire Bible Institute, they bring the word of God to remote peoples in third world countries and they have to hike these Bibles into the jungle. Um, we've got some awesome stuff in their convoy of hope. They feed kids all around the world and they respond to disaster. And then you'll see other really cool things. Um, we're working on the future, future campus of Generation Church, which is gonna be somewhere else in the valley. So we're looking for that and we're reaching out to our community right here in East Mesa right now. So what we're gonna do is December 11th, as we go into the Christmas season, we're gonna have a, a special miracle offering for kingdom builders. So what I want you to do is, cause it's, you know, Jesus's birthday, um, pray and ask Jesus, hey Lord, what would you want me to do for this offering on December 11th, above and beyond what I regularly do? And just listen for him to speak to your heart about how to give in that. It'll be an extra offering for kingdom builders and then next year, we'll have the opportunity to give to that on an ongoing basis. And I'm hoping that we can raise $100,000 through this process, okay? I believe with God, all things are possible. Amen? All right. All right. We're continuing this series called Stronger. And it's about the life of Samson. The life of Samson is very interesting because he had supernatural strength. So that just gets my attention as a man right off the bat. But it's also interesting because he was like a tragic figure. He made a lot of the same stupid decisions that I have made as a man. So I look at this and I'm like, I wasn't the first idiot to make that stupid decision. I wasn't the first person to lose my temper and get in trouble. Another person has been there and a lot of the guys in the room, you'd say, yeah, 
I've been there too. Here's what I'm titling this message today. It's emotion driven or spirit led. It's a question that you need to ask for yourself in your life. Am I gonna be driven by emotions or led by the Holy Spirit? What we said last week was that Samson was a guy with supernatural strength, but a dangerously weak will. And this weak willpower that he had, it got him into trouble. He struggled with lust and he would go after the wrong kind of women. He had an attitude of entitlement and he felt like he just deserved things and he was prideful. And so he put himself in dangerous situations, but he had the prideful mindset, I can handle it. I'm strong enough, I can handle it. Today, I wanna talk about how his emotions got him into trouble. Like everybody's been there. What you're gonna see today is that Samson was physically strong, but he was emotionally weak. And you don't wanna be emotionally weak. Guys, this series is really for you, but I think that a lot of our ladies can get a lot out of this, especially today, women. There's some good stuff in here for you. It's gonna help you, but, but men, this series is for you. Samson is a man's man, okay? And he was an emotional guy. Now, guys, we don't like to think of ourselves as emotional. We like to th emotional, that's what women do. Women get emotional, right? The truth is that everybody, everybody has emotion. God has emotion. It's how he created you to have emotions. In fact, theologians say that your soul is made up of your mind and your thoughts, the desires of your heart and your emotions. So having emotions is normal. It's not a bad thing. And emotions can be good. Emotions can, can lead you to praise God greater and to love people better. They can when you feel just moved by God emotionally. I know some of you, You've been coming to church for a while and you'd say, well, I just don't feel that emotional about God. And I didn't tell this the last service, but you have a few extra minutes here in this service. So I can share this with you. You might be thinking, I just don't feel that emotion for God. And I see it on some of your faces. I'm not judging you. I'm just going off of what I see. It's like the blank eye stare, a thousand, thousand meter stare right there. Just like, and maybe you've actually kind of wondered about that yourself. You know, like, I see all these people around me. They're kind of weird. They're all passionate, um, singing really loud. Has a terrible voice, but still singing really loud. Um, hands up in the air. What's up with that? Do you have a question or something? Can we help you? Uh, people moved in tears and crying. Like, I just don't feel that. What's up with that? The thing is that you don't just become emotional. Uh, being emotional does not drive you to worship God and to serve him. What happens is that when you start to serve the Lord, when you start to worship him, when you start to pursue a relationship with him, you become emotional about it. It's like if you're in marriage counseling, uh, a counselor might say, when's the last time you made love? And if your kids are in here, it's your own fault. But not when's the last time you had sex, when's the last time you made love, you know, like, can you feel the love tonight? And, and the thing is, you might, you might think like, um, well, it's been a while, you know, or maybe I've even heard people say, we just don't feel in love. And the reason you don't feel in love is because you stopped doing the things you did when you fell in love. See, when you pursue the Lord, when you go after him and serve him and you want to have a closer relationship with him, emotion comes out of that. Devotion is what causes emotion. 
And so if you never feel emotional about God, I'm not saying it has to be expressed outwardly that you have to cry or be crazy, okay? It's about what's in your heart. But if you say, in my heart, I never feel emotional about this. I'm just here kind of soaking it in, checking the box. Like, that's a warning sign. That's a check engine light, dude. You need to check your priorities because when you pursue God, when you think about him, when you surrender your life to him, you will start to feel emotional flowing out of that. That's just a little bonus content for today. Now, men... The reason that we get ourselves into emotional problems and and situations is because when we feel emotional, we tend to act, don't we? Like, I'm going to do something about this. When women get emotional, they tend to talk. So they get emotional. They're feeling sad. They'll call up their girlfriend. Like, can you come over to my house and have tea with me and sit on the couch and we'll talk about this? No guy has ever called me and asked me to have tea with him on our couch. And if he did, we would not be friends anymore because we don't do that. That's not a thing, bro. Like, I'll go hit some golf balls with you, but we are not drinking tea, okay? And so, guys, we get emotional, and this emotion sometimes will get us into trouble because we'll go do stupid things rather than being led by the Spirit of God. And so maybe you come home at the end of a hard day of work, and you know you should engage with your kids and your wife, but you're just emotionally fried from work, and so you just sit down on the couch, and you veg out, and you just click the channels, and you just disengage. Or maybe you come home, and and you kind of lose your temper, and you blow up at your wife, and you know you should say you're sorry, but you're too proud, so you don't. And so you have marital problems that come out of that, or different things like that, where your emotions can get you into trouble. And you've probably struggled with that, like, I know I shouldn't have done that. Well, God knew you were going to struggle with that. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. This is what every, every person would say. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, this is Paul writing this. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. That's how every single Christian feels. Okay, I know some of the things I'm supposed to do, but I can't get myself to do it. And I know some of the things I'm not supposed to do, but I keep doing it. Why do we struggle like that? Well, that's because we have a human, flesh, sinful nature. And even after we give our life to Jesus, we're not completely free of that yet. But the Holy Spirit of God will help us to overcome our sinful nature. And what Samson's problem was is that he was controlled by emotion rather than led by the Spirit. When you get controlled by your emotions, you'll get yourself into all kinds of trouble and you can't blame it on anyone else. You can't blame it on your ethnicity and say, I'm Italian, I'm Irish, I'm Puerto Rican. That's just what we do. We get crazy, right? You can't do that. And so here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter five. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So when you walk by the spirit, he will help you to resist your sinful, human, fleshly nature. The thing that makes you want to do the things that you know you shouldn't do. The Holy Spirit of God will help you to do what's right. Now let's look at Samson, our boy, our tragic hero. He goes outside of his hometown village, travels into Philistine territory. These were people who had been oppressing God's people. The Philistines, they were mean, they were cruel, they were conquerors, and they were oppressors. God was planning to use 
use Samson to redeem his people and rescue them and free them from oppression. So what he said to Samson's parents was that this guy, he's going to live a life devoted to me. And so he had to live according to this strict set of laws called a Nazarite vow. And what that meant was he couldn't drink alcohol. He couldn't touch anything that was ceremonially unclean, like dead things. And he could not cut his hair. So he had the Fabio long hair, you know, the flocks of gold and, and super strength because God said, if he devotes himself to me, I'm going to bless him. And what that meant was he had incredible supernatural strength. God was going to use him for a purpose. But Samson goes outside of his home village into Timnah, his neighboring village. And what he sees there is a smoking hot babe hanging out in the village. He sees a, a fine lady and it, it gets his attention. And so he goes home to his parents back in the day when they had arranged marriages. And he said, I want her. <laughs> She's fine. And they're like, why can't you marry someone who's, who's following God and loves the same God you do? What are you doing finding a wife among the Philistines, the people who are oppressing us? Why would you do that? But Samson didn't care. He was all about the looks, right? He said, I don't care. I want her. She looks good to me. Get her for me like a dumb caveman, right? So what happens is now it's time for the wedding. We're picking this up in Judges chapter 14. What happens is at this wedding, these guys, to, they start to tell riddles to pass the time because they would eat, they would drink, and all they could do was talk, right? This is 2,000 years ago. So they would tell stories. They would tell riddles to each other. And because guys are dumb sometimes, we can't have fun in a competition unless there's something on the line. You know, we have to make bets. Like, if my team loses, I'll wear your team's jersey. So here, here's what they have going on is, is Samson's going to tell him this riddle with these 30 guys, and he makes a wager. He says, if you guess the answer to this riddle, I will buy you all a set of clothes. But if you guys can't guess the answer, you have to bring me one set of clothes each, so 30 sets of clothes. That's a bad bet, first off, because if he loses, he's gotta come up with 30 sets. If they lose, they've only gotta come up with one set each. So he's already not the brightest guy, okay? He gets himself into trouble. Now here's his, his riddle. Judges 4, 14, 14. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days, they could not give the answer. Now, if you were here last week, you know what he's talking about. He was walking along, a lion attacked him. He ripped the lion apart and killed it, which is pretty amazing. I mean, that's very manly, I gotta say. I love it. And then he's walking by later and he sees bees swarming around the carcass of that lion. And he goes over there and he, he goes digging around for some honey and, oh, that'll work. Oh, yeah. And like, it's totally nasty, right? Touching, <laughs> touching a dead carcass, what he wasn't supposed to do, not touch anything that was dead, and he's digging around this nasty, rotten carcass, getting honey, breaking his vow to God. And we know that, so we know the answer to his riddle. But these guys, they would have never known that happened. It wasn't really a fair riddle. And these 30 guys, they start to realize they're going to lose this bet. They start to get mad. And what they did was they went to Samson's brand new wife and they threatened her. On, in verse 15, it says, On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. That's messed up, right? Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? That's what they asked. Now, just how harsh this is, right? Like, I know these are some rough guys, but, but who does that? Who threatens to kill the bride's family because they're going to lose a bet? 
That's crazy. You know what that tells me? That tells me I think they were under the influence of alcohol. They were intoxicated. They had gotten their drink on. If you were here last week, we, we saw Samson was throwing up this party. And the Hebrew word for party they, they use is mishta. It was just uh, not any party. It was a drinking party. It was a kager. The guy that's not supposed to drink alcohol is throwing a kager for his wedding. Not the brightest guy, right? Can, all of us guys in the room are like, oh, I'm not alone, right? Making bad decisions sometimes. So they, they threaten to kill his family because they're going to lose the bet. Now, that just makes me think of a, kind of an important point for, for us as a church family. Because some of you, you gave your life to Jesus not that long ago. You're just trying to figure it out. You're just kind of trying to figure out what this means. One of the things you have to be careful about as a Christian is alcohol. Now, when you read the Bible, what you're going to see is that objectively, it is not a sin to drink alcohol. But the Bible clearly states that it is a sin to get drunk. And for some people, you know that you don't have the self-control to handle alcohol without getting yourself either drunk or into some kind of trouble. And I know a lot of people who have caused all kinds of devastation because of alcohol. They've, I know people that have had affairs because, well, I was drunk. I didn't really know what I was doing. I know people that are paralyzed because of, of a fight they got in at a bar when they were drunk. I know people that lost their jobs because they couldn't handle. So you got to ask yourself, if you're a Christian, Paul said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So you got to ask yourself, this is a mature moment right now for you. If you're a Christian, okay, I'm challenging you to maybe think differently. You have to hear what I'm saying. It might not technically be a sin to drink, but if you're a Christian, you need to ask God, is this something that you want me to do? Or is this something that maybe I should give up? I've never met a person who does not drink who regrets not drinking. But I've met a lot of people who do drink who regret what they've done while they were drunk. And nobody becomes an alcoholic overnight. Unless you already drink, that, that's how you become an alcoholic. You don't always see it coming. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to become an alcoholic. It happens because you're just a casual social drinker and then some tragedy strikes in your life or you start using alcohol to cope with the stress in your life and the next thing you know, you can't live without it. So I'm warning you because as a pastor, I love you and I wanna see you avoid the problems I've seen so many other people have. You need to ask God, how do you want me to deal with this? Some of you, the answer is give it up. Save yourself some money, save yourself some heartache, enjoy a Diet Coke, and avoid a lot of problems. And then you can say, thank you, Pastor Ryan, for saving me from a lot of headache. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when you're drunk, what happens is that it starts to turn down the volume in your heart, and you start to lose the ability to hear the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. When you're just a Christian, you're going through life, you'll hear the Holy Spirit speak to you and, and you'll go to do something. He'll say, ah, 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 you should, probably shouldn't do that. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. He'll say, ah, you shouldn't say that. You know you want to, but you don't want to say it. Don't say it. And you're like, okay, right, thank you. He'll say, you shouldn't go there. Don't look at her. Don't touch her. Don't talk to that person. And then when you get drunk, what happens is you start to get that voice muted and quieter and quieter and quieter. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, how did this happen? This is why I warn you about this. So look at what happens in this party here. Verse 16, Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me, you hate me. 
You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. She's using every woman's secret weapon, tears. Man, I don't even care how mad I am. When a woman is crying in front of me, I will do anything to make it stop. It just takes away every ounce of strength or anger I felt or what, I'm just like, what do you want? What, what can I do? Like, I just, I can't handle it. Like, and so what you see with her is that she starts to emotionally manipulate her husband. Look at what happens in verse 16, continuing here. I haven't even given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, right? These people knew how to party. Seven-day parties, all right? He told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Mm -hmm. You know where I'm going with this. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. So she didn't understand the foundation of a good marriage is that you must be loyal to one another. When you get married, you leave your mother and your father and you cling to your spouse to become one, one flesh. Doesn't matter what mama and dad think anymore, right? You're married, you're together, you should be loyal to each other, but she's not. She's being more loyal to her, her, her community, these guys, and she betrays her husband, but she gets this answer out of him by nagging him every day at this party. Samson's trying to have a good time and she's coming to him and crying. When are you going to tell me the answer to the riddle? You don't even love me. Why don't and this is what girls do. Let's just be honest, ladies. If you're not careful, you'll use emotions to manipulate your spouse. And I know how it goes, okay? You're mad, you're in the house, you had an argument. You don't even say anything, but you're over there doing the dishes and, and all of a sudden it's like shutting the cabinet door really hard, sighing really loud. <sighs> and then he doesn't pay attention to you to so get closer to him. Like, <sighs> I'd be like, what, what, are you okay? Like, no, miss, it's fine. It's nothing. I, f I feel like it's something, okay? No, no, it's fine. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. This is emotional manipulation. And with emotional manipulation, you can get what you want in the short term, but it will poison your relationship in the long term. The cost is greater than the gain. Here's what it says in Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live alone in Tucson than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. <laughs> Nothing worse. Nothing worse. I mean, how embarrassing is it to be betrayed by your own wife? In Proverbs 12, 4, it says, A righteous woman, an excellent wife, is a crown of glory on her husband's head. But a woman who brings shame to her husband is like cancer in his bones. That's harsh. That's how you feel. If you have a nagging wife, though, that's how you feel as a guy. It's like, kill me now, God. Make it stop. <laughs> She should have been loyal to her husband. And I'm even thinking back to where these guys threatened to kill her and her family. But if she was afraid of them, she should have gone to her husband and asked him for help. Not try to just deal with the situation herself or betray him, but, but, but ask your super strong, amazing superhero husband to help you with this problem. 
Now here's what happens. In verse 18, it says, so before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with the answer. And they tried to act like they just came up with it on their own. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson is now furious. Samson replied, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved the riddle. Now, he obviously missed premarital counseling, right? Because the first thing you learn in premarriage counseling is you never call your wife a heifer. Simple, hard rule, never ever. Never ever call your wife a heifer. Like, thank you guys, you're welcome, God bless you, have a good day. And then secondly, you see what he's saying though, what he's trying to say is, you messed with my wife. You got this answer by going through my wife. That's jacked up. That's what he's saying. And the truth is that that's a good lesson for us. We should never mess with another person who is married. You just need to think about that. You need to check yourself. If you're married, if someone else is married, that person belongs to someone else. And they are off limits. So they don't need to be your best friends. A married woman, guys, doesn't need to be your emotional support. If someone at work says you're work wife and work husband, that's a red flag that you're living wrong. If you're even given that perception of closeness, that's dangerous territory. That's how affairs start. You know, one third of affairs and divorces now happen because of Facebook and reconnecting with old friends and high school sweethearts. And the next thing is like, we should get together. And next thing you know, you're complaining to each other. My husband's such a jerk. And the other guy's on, on the internet going like, oh, I would take such good care of you. And he's a total perv in a dirt bag. So don't ever mess with another man's spouse. And here's another good rule of thumb for the men. Never try to get to another guy through his wife. That's jacked up. That breaks the bro code, okay? Never try to get to another man or get what you want by messing with someone's wife. I have people do that to me in the church. They'll go to my wife and be like, um, you should tell your husband that we should do this. And we ain't playing that game, fool. <laughs> me and my wife, we're a one. We're a team. We think alike. We're on the same page. You go to her trying to pull some of that business, she's going to punch you in the face. Not really. She's the sweet one. Okay, she's the nice one. She would hate that I said that. She's so sweet. But it's a good lesson. Men, don't ever plow with another man's heifer. It's right out of the Bible. So then we see these two familiar emotions in Samson that can take a strong man down. First, we see that Samson burns with anger. He was so angry because of this. He was furious. Now, guys, let's all just be honest and, and kind of comfort one another. Show of hands, if you've ever been angry and said something you regretted. Yep, me too. Okay, show of hands, if you've ever been angry at work and gotten yourself in trouble or fired. Yep, me too, okay. Show of hands if you've ever been angry, guys, and you hit something and ended up hurting yourself. Yep. Stub your foot on a toe or your toe on a chair, and then, and then you're like trying to break, break the chair, stupid chair, and then you cut your hand on the broken chair. And you're like, why did I do this? I learned how to patch sheetrock walls when I was 12 years old. Because I was going around punching holes in a wall like an idiot. 
Here's what happens with Samson, Judges 14, 19. But then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So the strength that he had from God, he went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. Yeah. I told you this was gonna be an interesting series. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Real housewives of Timnah going down in the Old Testament. That's crazy drama right there. Samson, he goes, he goes off and kills these 30 guys, like, oh, I have, to, I have to give you 30 sets of clothes? I killed your cousin. Here's your cousin's clothes. That's nuts. And then he goes home to his mama and dad and, and he pouts like a little kid. And while he's gone, his supposed to be father-in-law gives his new wife away to the guy who was supposed to be his best man. And that was actually kind of common in that culture. If you abandon your spouse, her family, they had to take care of her. So look at all this, all this trouble he got himself in because of his anger. What he does then is in verse 15, you'll start to see that he's like, oh, I'm gonna get even. You thought you were going to get me? No, I'm going to get you. What he does, he goes out and he captures 150 pairs of foxes. And then he ties their tails together in pairs with a torch between each one and lights it on fire and sends them through the grain fields of the Philistine to burn their harvest to the ground. He's not messing around. That's crazy. A good crazy. I like it. That's where the phrase crazy like a fox came from. Not really. <laughs> so now their whole harvest is burned to the ground. Of course, they're furious. I mean, that's like a financial blow. The Philistines, they found out Samson did this, so they go to the girl he was supposed to marry and her family, and they burned them to death. So look at how this anger that's going back and forth with these guys, it's escalating, and more and more people are getting hurt. They burned them to death, and then Samson... He, he just keeps escalating. That's what happens. He goes on another killing spree, the Bible says. He killed more guys. This is what anger does with us, guys. If we allow it to, it'll drive us into sinful moments, and we'll get in trouble, and more and more people will get hurt. And, and we got to understand, for guys, anger is our default negative emotion. When you're hurt, you get angry. When you're embarrassed, you don't cry. Usually as a guy, you're going to get angry. When you feel like you got cheated, you get angry. It's your default negative emotion. So understand that when you're, when you're hurt and you start feeling angry, you might need to kind of go, man, I'm just hurt right now. That's what happened. But that's what, what happens. We get, we get angry and we get ourselves into trouble. And understand it's not a sin to be angry. Being angry, God gets angry. There's things that should make you angry when someone does get kidnapped and pulled into sex trafficking or innocent babies get killed in the womb or, or when there's injustice in our society against people from certain ethnic groups or racial communities. That should make you angry. But in your anger, do not sin. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. In Psalms 4.4, 4, it says, be angry and do not sin. You can be angry without sinning in your anger. But you see guys do this all the time. They get on Facebook, they start spewing all kinds of hateful stuff and that's anger and sinful coming out of their hearts. They'll get into shouting matches with their spouse or explode at their kids. And you think about Samson, all this anger and this going back and forth. What's he so angry about? You have to think about it. He's the one that went into Philistine territory to find a wife. 
He's the one that decided to marry a woman who served a different God than him. He's the one that had this drinking party when he was supposed to avoid alcohol. He's the one that told this unfair riddle to these guys. He's the one that made the bet. He's the one that told the answer to his wife. He's the one that escalated and escalated. He should be angry at himself. Instead, he's angry at everyone else. And this is what guys do. You get angry at your boss, and if you're honest, you know you're the one that showed up late to work, or you're the one that didn't follow through with what you're supposed to, or you're the one that dropped out of college because you couldn't stop partying. You get angry with your your spouse, your wife, because she's not meeting your physical needs, and and you haven't met her emotional needs for months. You get mad at God because you're in a certain situation when you know that I'm in this situation because of my unwise decisions. If you've gotten yourself into trouble like that, own it, take responsibility, which is what a real man does, and apologize, make it right. That's where you repent. You say, this is my fault. I did this. I made this happen. I need to make it right. I need to go and apologize to my spouse. I need to change my ways. I can't keep living like this. I want to be a man of honor. I want to be a man of integrity. I don't want to have a a temper and be a hothead. And, And like ladies, if your husband comes to you to apologize, you know, receive it. Be gracious. Let him repent and take ownership humbly saying, man, it was my fault. I blew it. Then give him forgiveness. You've got to make it possible for him to win. You can love him up. You can treat him good. Help him to become the man of God he can be. If you make him feel like he can't win, he's going to take his ball and he's going to go home. That's what guys do when they can't win. You can help him to be the man of God. So you got to own it, okay? This anger, if it gets you into trouble. The second emotion that brought him down was pride. Samson was filled with pride. Didn't we talk about pride last week? Yes, And we're talking about pride this week. And we're going to talk about it next week because Samson was a very prideful man and his pride got him into trouble. Because of these guys he killed and because he burned down the Philistines' crops, they were obviously angry. So they came after him. They came to Judea and the the people of God, the Jewish people, they were like afraid of this war that was going to break out. So they said, well, we'll we'll go get Samson. Don't worry. We'll bring him to you. We don't want to have a fight. We don't want to have a war. So they go to Samson and they arrest him. He's been out in the wilderness. They arrest him and they bring him. They're going to bring him to the Philistines as a captive and turn him over. It says in verse 14 of chapter 15 here, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. That's like straw or hay. And the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. That's pretty awesome, right? If you're a child of the 80s, he just turned into He-Man, okay? If you're a child of the 90s, he went Super Saiyan. If you're a child younger than that, I don't know what you guys are excited about. SpongeBob SquarePants, maybe? He went like UFC times a thousand plus the power of God on these guys. He grabbed the jawbone of a donkey. It's like this crooked, like big jawbone, like the end of a hockey stick. And he's got this thing in his hand and he's like, oh, I'm going to open a can on you. And he's like, jawbone, jawbone, starts killing dudes. You can't make this up. I love the Bible. Then look what he says in verse 16. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. So he's a warrior poet, just writing poems after this beat down. 
When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone and the place was called Ramoth Lehi, which means jawbone hill. So he opened a can on these guys. He kicked butt. He took names. He was the man and he named the place after his victory, Jawbone Hill, where I took this jawbone and I just slayed guys like fools all around me. I think that's pretty amazing. I wanted to find a jawbone to bring it in here and show you what it looks like. Then I realized that's really nasty too. So I didn't do it. But look at what he does. He's struggling with pride. He's, he's, he names this place Jawbone Hill, and look at his poem. I have made donkeys of them. I have killed a thousand men. This is what guys tend to do. Look at what I did. Look at how great I am. Look at what I achieved. I'm strong, right? You like me now, right? Like, look at what I did. It's pretty great. You think I'm great, don't you? That's what happens, guys, when, when we actually have insecurity in our heart. We become prideful. And we think that our accomplishments and our titles and the salary we earn, that will earn us the respect of other people. But God does not want you to be insecure. I think there's nothing more sad than an insecure man. God designed you to be strong and confident in who he made you to be. But you know that if you want to be the person God made you to be, you cannot do it on your own. You need help. You need to be willing to say, I need strength that comes from outside of me. I need God's help. Don't be that guy that's too proud to stop and ask for directions or too proud to ask Siri for directions at least, you know? Don't be that guy. Be willing to admit that you need help. Men, I believe that there is greatness in you. There is a supernatural purpose that God has for your life. He wants to use you to accomplish great things, to build his kingdom, to love your wife like Christ loved the church, to raise godly children who know Jesus, but you can't do it when you try to be strong in your own strength. You have to be willing to say, I need God. I need his help. We're all in need. We all need his help. But listen to this. If you let your needs drive you to God, God will meet your deepest needs. Let him be your help. Here's what happens in Judges 15. Samson just finished this crazy beatdown. It says, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, listen to this, his strength returned and he revived. So the place was called in Hakor. And that means the, the, the spring of the one who cried out which I think is interesting considering that initially he named this place of his great victory, Jawbone Hill, the place where I slayed a thousand men. But later when he finally realized he needed God's help, he was about to die from thirst. He names that place the, the spring of the one who called out to God. And that's what we have to do as men. We have to understand and realize our need and let that need drive us to God. And when we do that, God will meet our deepest needs, men. When you return to God, strength will return to you. But it won't be your strength, it'll be God's strength. That's a strength that never fails. And it doesn't matter what you've been into lately, what kind of mistakes you've made. Maybe you've drifted away from God. Maybe you grew up in church, but then you've been living on your own. Maybe you've been a Christian right now for a while, but it just kind of fell by the wayside. When you return to God, strength will return to you. But it's not gonna happen in your own strength. 
You're not gonna get your life together by just becoming a good person or following a set of rules because what you see with Samson is that he got himself into these difficult situations and then all this sin started happening in his life. And when you get into difficult situations, whatever's in your heart will come out. When you're tired and hungry, you know, that's when you get cranky and it comes out, right? When you get embarrassed, that's when you fight back and you lash back because you're insecure in your heart. And so what we have to do, every one of us, is have our heart transformed by the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Bible says he takes our heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh. And it happens by drinking from the spring. The way Samson drank from this spring, Jesus said, I am the living water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. And see, when we go to Jesus with our need, he meets our thirst, he quenches it, he transforms our heart and he gives us supernatural strength. Can we pray together? Let's just bow our heads and have a moment of privacy. If you're in this room and you know, man, I've been struggling with emotions and I've letting my emotions get the better of me and I wanna walk by the spirit of God and be led by him. I don't wanna be captive to my flesh or my sinful desires. I wanna have control over myself and victory and strength over my emotions. If that's you, just ask God right now to just give you that strength and that self-control. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you would have victory over sin and be able to resist temptation. It's by recognizing your need that God will bring you strength. And if you're in here right now this morning and you say, what I need to do is give my life to Jesus. I've never done it. Or maybe I haven't done it for a long time and I've fallen away, but I wanna recommit my life to him. If you are in that place, you can make that decision this morning and just simply say, Jesus, I need you. Just pray this in your heart. I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and you rose again so that I could have eternal life and victory in your name. I can't wait to follow you. I can't wait to serve you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you pray that in your heart and you meant it, then God heard you and you became a new creation. Your old life is gone and a new life has begun. You need to get baptized. That's one thing you need to do. You need to get in community and, be, and have other Christians around you in a life group to support you and pray with you. You need to keep coming to church so you can be in God's presence with his people and worship him and learn how to love one another. If God has done something in your life today, I pray that you will continue forward in it, walking in his spirit, knowing him better. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now and give God praise before we leave. He's done great things today. We've seen people baptized. We've seen people give their life to him. Come on.